please stand for the reading of scripture. It's taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. What are you afraid of? But you have an irrational fear. There's not much I was trying to think as I was putting this together. Like, what am I afraid of? Like, what really gets me? And closest thing I could come up with was like snakes. Like, I'm okay going to a zoo if they're behind glass. It's interesting. That's cool. Snake over there. Like, we just went to San Diego. Went to the San Diego Zoo. They had giant rattlesnakes behind glass. That's great. I had a rattlesnake in my like lower part of my house one time. I'm not going in that room ever again. Their snake is gone. But like the fear of like, is there still something in there? That lingers. There's uh, this group out there called the Chapman's. They do it. It's the Chapman Survey of American Fears, and they've been doing this survey for about nine years running. And about 30% of you in this room, if you're like any regular American, is afraid of getting up here and doing this very thing right here. Public speaking. I have a graph as to where that falls. Public speaking fell about number 53, right between fear of sharks and theft of property. Now, there's more things above and below. You can go look it up and see what the number one fear is. But isn't that interesting? Like sharks, like something that could kill you, but really doesn't kill a lot of people throughout the year. Theft of property, that's pretty significant. Afraid of losing something, your house being broken into, being taken something on the street. Like that's personal. Like that's a deep fear. Like public speaking. Right? That falls between some pretty significant fears. Now, how about if I added on to that praying for others openly? That's kind of like public speaking. How afraid are we to just pray for other people? Now, we might say, I'll pray for you, but to actively do it. Anybody's starting to like, huh, ah, not sure I want to do that. 
The most repeated instruction in Scripture, though, is do not fear. Do not fear. Luke Heron, as he preached last week, teed me up real well as he was talking about how we join Jesus on his mission and how we should do good with others and hang out with people and be present. And at one point in his sermon, he's like, but what about prayer? I don't know where prayer is, but I'm sure it's a part of it. Well, Luke, it's today. We're going to talk about prayer and why we should not fear and why we should be able to step into opportunities to pray for others, whether they are believers or not. Why it's important that when we're out there connecting with our neighbors, joining Jesus on his mission, connecting with those God has placed in our way, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, when they're talking to us and when we're talking to them and as we grow closer together, we're going to have opportunities to demonstrate where the kingdom of God can break into their lives. And those opportunities are where Jesus is already at work. Now, where are those opportunities? Where might that happen? Well, earlier in this book that we're reading, Joining Jesus on His Mission, and a couple messages ago when I spoke, there are three places where Jesus' kingdom wants to break into people who don't believe. And that's where there is a need for hope, where there is a need for love, and where there is a need for redemption. Anytime you come across somebody in your conversations and they express a need for one of those things, If they don't believe in Jesus, that's an opportunity. That's where you can pray. That's where the kingdom of God can break in. People need hope when they're afraid, when they're sad, when they're grieving, when there's been a death of a close loved one. People need love when they express loneliness, when they're angry about something, or if they say they hate somebody or something else. People need redemption when they talk about being addicted to something, when there's pain, sickness, suffering, brokenness in their lives. Prayer is a way that we get to partner and join with Jesus on his mission to allow the kingdom to break in in those moments. The main point would simply be this today, that prayer is an encounter with the kingdom of God and an active response that creates a more personal connection with our neighbors when they express a need for hope, love, or redemption. Prayer is an encounter with the kingdom of God and an active response that creates a more personal connection with our neighbors when they express a need for hope, love, or redemption. Now, I will tell you, at the end of this message, you will be getting to group up and pray for each other. I tell you this now, if you're an extrovert, you can get excited. If you're an introvert, please hold on tightly to the introverts next to you. They do not run out of the room. So yes, we will be doing that. Now what are some of the reasons that we should pray pray for others? We know prayer is a good idea. We know we should do it, but we might not know why. Well, here's a couple reasons. Like I said, it opens up an encounter with the kingdom of God. The early church father, John Chrysostom, says this about prayer. When you pray, it is as if you are entering into a palace. Not a palace on earth, but a far more awesome, a palace in heaven. It is not to human beings that you are praying, but to God, who is present everywhere. 
who hears even before you speak, and who knows already the secrets of the heart. If you pray to this one, you shall receive a great reward. When we join Jesus on his mission through prayer and prayer for others, we help create opportunities for the kingdom of God to break in, to be made real in people's lives for those who might otherwise miss it. If they're not a believer, they don't know what to look for. We get to almost grab people's hand and walk them into God's presence and say, I know who can help you with this. Come with me. Let's go talk to the person who can help you. Another thing that it does is it helps create connection and intimacy with those in our neighborhoods and those around us. If you're talking with people, if you're doing good, and they might end up telling you something important or deep about them, a moment where they are feeling hopeless or where they are grieving or where there's hurt in their life, that's an opportunity. And that's something significant because we don't just tell those things to anybody. We tell those things to people that we trust. So hopefully there's an element of trust in that. Now imagine somebody tells you something significant like that about their life or something that happened and you said, that's great, and went on about your day. That would completely ignore and devalue what they've said. If you don't have a response to those moments, that, that trust has been let down. That you're not connecting with them in that way. At a friend whose mother-in-law was ailing, I knew this, she wasn't doing well, and he posted on Facebook that she had passed away. Now, Facebook makes this really easy, where we can just scroll by and like, care, post a comment, hey, sorry, I'm praying for you. But I said, that's not enough for this friend. I don't want to just like or care I don't want to just put a comment. I picked up the phone and I called him. Went straight to voicemail, which I wasn't surprised, probably not wanting to take phone calls. I said, hey man, sorry to hear your mother-in-law died. I know how much you loved her. I loved her too. If you want to call me, call me back. I'm here for you. A couple days later, he called me back and he said how important that was for him that somebody actually called him, reached out and prayed for him. We have those opportunities to make a more personal connection. When prayer is an option, that opportunity for a deeper connection goes just beyond personal because we get to include God in that. We get to include Jesus in that moment. We get to open people's eyes to God being at work in their life. Prayer is also an active response. It's something that we actively get to do. It's not just some wishy-washy thing. But it's active. On Twitter, there's this guy I follow. His name is John Acuff, and he tweeted this one time, and I thought it was very interesting. He said, if someone says, let's go grab coffee sometime, and then doesn't immediately pull out their phone and schedule it, phones now come with calendars, it's crazy, they don't want to grab coffee. They just don't know how to say the phrase, it's nice to run into you, have a great day. Now, what is this mean about prayer. If you say to somebody, I will pray for you, but you don't do it in that moment, how will they know? How will they know? 
Especially for a non-believer, this can feel very empty because they don't have connections with prayer or what that looks like or what that means or how special that can be. And we live in a time where lots of crazy things are happening in the world. People will say very quickly, I will pray for you, or man, thoughts and prayers for that hard situation. But if you don't take the time to actually offer a prayer to lead people in to that temple, into that holy moment, it can feel especially empty. Now, I think here within the church, within our circle, within all of you here, if any one of you said, Pastor Greg, I will pray for you, I know you all will. I know you will because you believe. You're part of this church. You're part of this community. You will do it. But to anybody out there, to anybody who doesn't believe, if we say, I will pray for you, that means nothing. Because they don't know. So we have to take the opportunity to minister to them through prayer in that moment as much as we can. How much more powerful would it be if when they said whatever that thing was that they were struggling with, and you just said, hey, can I, can I pray for you about that right now? In the book that we're reading, Greg Finke says nobody ever turns him down. Nobody. Because they want to be supported in that moment. And if you can offer that as support, man, how great an opportunity is that? Later, after our reading today, as Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? People in our community who don't have a relationship with Jesus don't know how to ask. They don't know how to go to the Father. They don't know how to go into that space to ask for the things that God wants to give them. We get to join Jesus on his mission by walking with people in that by taking them to the Father. And if we know prayer is a good thing, why would we not offer that opportunity to them? Now to the in, my fellow introverts in the room. Yes, I said fellow. It might come as a surprise to you that I'm a bit of an introvert. I get to get up here and talk, but there's a different power in me called introversion. Introverts, you can pray for other people. Why? If you're an introvert, you have this unique ability to connect with people on a very deep level because if you're actually listening, you're giving your full attention to that person. You're not scanning the room. You're not waiting to look for other people to connect with as those extroverts will because they just want to connect with everybody, which is great. But introverts, if you're spending the time to connect with somebody, they know how important that is. You have a special gift in those moments because you're actually paying attention to somebody. So yes, you introverts, fellow introverts, you can pray for people too. Now, what's the recipe? What does it look like? How do we pray for other people? As you all know, I like to cook. I follow recipes. Now, I'm not a person who follows recipes line by line. I like to improv. I like to experiment. Recipes are more like guidelines for me. And I think prayer is the same. It can be scary if we don't know where to start, if we've never really cooked. Recipes are helpful. 
give us a little kickstart as to where to go. In the book, Greg Finke says, prayer is not so much about getting the words right as it is about inviting our king in. The words aren't the most important. There's no secret formula that's going to make it all happen magically. But the moment, the invitation into prayer is what's important. Now, there's a bunch of prayers and guides out there. The prayer of St. Francis is one of my favorites. In it, St. Francis says, Lord, make me an intimate of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. St. Patrick's breastplate or prayer is another great one. It's a long one. You might not want to pull that out if you're praying for people. But in it, he says, I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me. You might be familiar with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. That's one you can pray for anybody. But what's important is that we do it and that we follow the KISS principle. Not those guys. But KISS. Keep it simple, silly. I know it says something else, but you, you can all can imagine that in your head. Keep it simple. Don't worry about the words. God knows what you want. Like it said in the reading today, before we even ask, what's important is that we're having the conversation. In the Old Testament, Elijah has his interaction with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And it says that the prophets of Baal are trying so hard to get Baal to respond that they pray from morning until evening. They go on and on and on and on and nothing happens. Elijah simply gets up and in verse 36 prays this prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Simple. Less than a minute. And God responded. And great show. But honestly, I think today we read in our scripture reading the best example of this, the Lord's prayer. Jesus is offering it as his example, counter to what he says of don't be like the pagans who go babbling on and on, thinking that they will be heard because of all that they say. He says, pray like this. On your handouts and your bulletin, there's each line segmented out there for you with some blanks under it. Feel free to do your own little, this is what I would say along those lines. I'm going to give you some examples too, but something that would help you pray for others, to connect with other people. The prayer opens very famously with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right off of the bat, the word our. This is a communal activity. This is a group of people. You're praying with somebody else. You're acknowledging that God is a father. God is somebody who cares for whoever is praying in this moment. If you're praying with somebody, God cares like a father for this person. And when we're praying for them, like I said, it's almost like an introduction. You're getting to introduce them to your father. Hey, come and see. Come meet this guy. He's great. Hallowed be your name or holy is your name. Yes, this is personal. God is our Father. He's right there next to us wanting to sit down and care for us, but he's also holy. He's beyond us. He's, he's greater than anything we could ever imagine. He's transcendent. He can do anything 
that we could ever imagine. We need the personal connection, but we also need the power and the holiness of God to change our hearts and minds. You could simply say, God, you're great. God in heaven, great Father, holy God, holy Father, anything like that you could do in a prayer. The next line is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this line, we acknowledge that what's happening here on earth is not the way it should be. And we want our desires to be in line with what God wants to happen, with what God is doing in heaven. We want heaven to mirror earth as much as possible. And we are inviting that God's will be done, not ours, but God's will. We want our lives and wills to be shaped around what God's will is. You could simply say, God, we want you to be present and active now. God, we want you to act as you act in heaven. The next line is, give us today our daily bread. This is simply a prayer for what we need to get through the day. Like the manna from heaven that was given in Exodus. All they got was what they needed for that day. They could not store up extra. They could not be greedy. They were just provided all that they needed. We'll get to celebrate later too with communion. That we are praying that God would give us our daily bread in this table. We pray for what we need to sustain us. So when we pray this, we can say simply... God, we need you to sustain, to heal, to strengthen us. The next line is, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's a moment of confession right there in the Lord's prayer. We know that we have debts with other people, spiritual, maybe literal, that we need to fulfill those debts because that's an expression of God fulfilling our debts through Jesus in the cross. May we have opportunities to show that to others. We can pray, make things right in our life as we want to love others. Kind of a golden rule. And finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray that God would help us avoid temptations, to help us avoid hardship, to help us avoid wandering from the path he has set before us. Deliver us, as has been promised and experienced in Jesus, from the powers of Satan, the effects of sin, death, chaos, and destruction. This is the moment where we get to specifically pray for whatever it is that person is struggling with. Heal us, heal them from hurts, mend the broken parts of our lives, keep away all that would make us angry, afraid, and hopeless. Now, if you were listening to the reading and if you've been in church for a long time, you probably thought, that ended early. What about that? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Side note, Bible nerd alert for those of you paying attention. In the earliest manuscripts we have of the Bible, that line isn't in there. (gasps) Gas literally went across the audience. That was fun. Is it a bad thing? No, it's great. 
Why do we think it's in there? We think at some point somebody put it in because they're doing what we do every Sunday. We pray the Lord's Prayer, and they concluded it with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, do we pray that kind of thing when we're praying with other people? My suggestion would be maybe not. Why? Because that is an ending that is specifically for right here. That when we conclude, we can say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Because that makes sense to us. And that's kind of flowery language that somebody not connected to church might not understand. Do we want to conclude with amen? Yes. Do we want to conclude within the name of Jesus? Yes. Or by the power of God through the name of Jesus? Yes. Because that is how all of our prayers are answered. Again, it's not us. It's not our power. It's not us that we're praying for to make things happen. We want God involved. But in the effort to keep it simple, you might not want to end with that, but something simple that would mean something to that person. Eugene Peterson, in his message translation, has this for the the Lord's Prayer. He says, Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. And keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. That's a simple translation or paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer. That's something people can understand, and that's what we want to do as we're connecting with people. We don't want to pray for them in a way that doesn't make any sense, that's over their head, and that makes us feel like there's some kind of separation, like they can never do that. That's not what we want to do. We want to show them that connecting with God is something anybody and everybody can do at any time. So, speaking of anybody and everybody doing this at any time, let's do this. Look around to the people around you. Group up into four, maybe five And pray for each other, simply. And as much as possible, I want your request to be personal. Try not to do the, can you please pray for my, you know, third uncle's left foot, whatever. Yeah, we want healing there, but what do you need today? What do you need to hear from God today? What do you really want? prayer for? How do you want God to break in to your life? And I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my doom Till I met you And I was breathing but not alive